hey guys, welcome. I hope you liked the episode yesterday on St. Demetrios. I enjoyed recording it with my lovely wife, Sarah. Today, as we said yesterday, we're talking about St. Nestor the Chronicler. Now, there's not a lot about the, on the life of St. Nestor, but man, me and Sean get a lot of traction out of him. We get a lot of mileage out of St. Nestor when we're uh, in our conversation about him. So, how do you think we did that then? How do you think we got a lot out of someone who doesn't give us a lot? Well, in his writings, he offers us a little something. In his Life of St. Theodosius, he begins it by talking about how unworthy he is to be talking about this great and wonderful saint. How unworthy he is to be writing these writings that he, he's been doing. I may have said this a few times, However, I'll say it again, just in case this is the first time you're listening. St. Nestor is someone who wrote down the history of the Kievan Rusin people those, uh, during the time of their conversion to Christianity. And in the early periods of, of, of that conversion and of those first saints who started to emerge uh, from the Holy Spirit working through, um, working through them. And so I'm going to record today that introduction to the life of St. Theodosius. I think it's fitting that someone who is so humble that in order to read anything about him, even things that he has said about himself, you have to look at someone else first. You have to look at this great saint that he credits with his coming into the monastic life. So without further ado, here is the life, the introduction to the life of St. Theodosius. Hey guys, Sarah here. We had a small technical difficulty with the section of the recording where Bill reads um, the introduction of the life of St. Theodosius by St. Nestor the Chronicler. So what you're going to hear is Bill starting it and then my voice (laughs) with a couple of the sentences or paragraph or whatever, and then it'll go back to Bill just because Bill's not here and we want to get this episode out for you to listen as soon as possible. So apologies for that and uh, here we go. I thank thee, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Master, that thou hast vouchsafed me unworthy as I am to recount the lives of thy holy servants. For after first writing about the life, murder, and miracle of the blessed passion sufferers Boris and Gleb, I have been moved to undertake a second narrative. The first one was beyond my powers, and I was not worthy of undertaking it, since I am a crude and foolish, since I am crude and foolish. Moreover, I had not been instructed in any kind of learning. But I remembered thy word, O Lord. If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Go, and be planted in the sea, and without doubting it should obey you. I, the sinful Nestor, taking hold of these things in my mind, and fortifying myself with the faith and hope that all things are possible from thee, began to write this account of the life of our venerable father Theodosius, formerly superior of the caves monastery of our holy mistress, the Theotokos, the Archimandrite of all Rus, and founder of our monastic life. 
Brothers, as I called to mind the life of this venerable man, which has not been written down by anyone, I was daily overcome by grief, and I would pray to God that he would consider me worthy to record everything in order about the life of his servant, our father Theodosi, so that the monks who come after us, having received and read this narrative and seen the valor of this man, might praise God, glorifying his servant, and be strengthened in their further endeavors, especially as such a man and servant of God appeared even in this land. For it was him that the Lord said, Many shall come from the east and west, and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And also, many that are last shall be first. For this man, though he appeared late in time, showed himself superior to the first fathers, since in his life he emulated the holy founder of the monastic life, I mean the great Anthony, and closely resembled his namesake Theodosius, Archimandrite of Jerusalem, and the same things came to pass in his life. Both of them passed their lives in the same fervent service of Our Lady, the Teotokos, and received from the one whom she bore the same recompense. And they pray to the Lord unceasingly for us, their children. It is indeed remarkable, as it is written in the books of the fathers, that the last generation will be weak. Yet in this last generation Christ revealed such a man as this as his husbandman, a shepherd for his monks, and a guide and teacher of the universal truth for his holy sheep. From his youth he was adorned by a pure life and good deeds, and especially by faith and understanding. From now on I shall begin to tell you about Blessed Theodosi, right from his youth, but listen, brothers, with close attention, since this discourse is full of profit for all who hear it, I beg you, beloved, do not despise my crudeness, for I am constrained by love of the holy man for whose sake I have tried to record all these things. Moreover, I take care that it should not be said of me, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou ought to have taken my money to the exchanges, and then at my coming I should have received my own with usury. So, brothers, it is not fitting to conceal God's wonderful acts, especially since the Lord said to his disciples, What I tell you in darkness, that I speak ye in light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye on the housetops. It is my wish to write all these things down for the profit and edification of all with whom we converse, so that they may thereby glorify God and receive their recompense and reward. Now I am about to begin my discourse and embark on my story. First I shall pray to Thee, O Lord, O Lord. O Master, Lord God Almighty, giver of blessings, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, come to my aid and enlighten my mind, so that it may understand thy commandments, and open my lips, so that they may proclaim thy wonderful works, and praise thy servant, so that thy holy name may be glorified, for thou art the healer of all, all who hope in thee, forever. Amen. Sean, how are you now? Not so bad. How are you? Oh, pretty good. So, as is tradition, it seems with more and more of these Catholic podcasts, they do drinking. Ooh. And so, instead of like beer or scotch, we're going to get classy. We're going to have some sherry. Oh, it's like Fraser. 
Is it? Yeah. That, sort of. Is Richard it? Frazier? Is it? I think so. Okay. Anyways, so put the cap back on. So as I was planning this podcast on Nestor the Chronicler, uh, my friend Sean took great interest into into this saint, and it's for a particular reason. Sean is also a Ukrainian Catholic like myself. And so, Sean, what interested you about St. Nestor, specifically? Well, I thought Nestor was interesting as, as an instance of a man who was living in a culture that was not fundamentally Christian yet. Um, and he took the history of his nation and, uh, and of individuals that helped to form that nation. And he, he read the history of his own people in reference to God's plan for humanity. Um, and in reference to, uh, to the movements of the Holy Spirit. Mm. So he read history, but he read it as a movement toward an end, which is the salvation and the Christianization of, of the people of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, I find him interesting because we see that all through the sacred scriptures. We see it in, uh, in Moses. Uh, we see it in, um, especially in the prophets, who are understanding their own history. Uh, we see it in the, uh, in the Maccabeans. Um, but in the New Testament, we see it especially in Paul in an understanding of Jewish history as building up toward Christ, mm. as being a, yeah. like a foundation being laid for our Lord. Um, after the completion of the New Testament, you have Augustine, mm-hmm. who is seeing the providence of God in the collapse of the empire. Mm. Um, and so that's more specific. Then you end up getting someone like Bede in Britain, who mm-hmm. is seeing the history of Christianity and the history of England as so intertwined um, that God's providence is actually really at work for the, for the Christianization of the people of, of England, which I think is really neat. So for Nestor, you see um, kind of the first instance of that in Slavic culture, which is mm-hmm. somebody who... Yeah. who is taking the stories that have been handed on to him and is uh, reading them as sacred Mm -hmm. and is understanding them as a way to promote the gospel in his own culture, in his own culture, his own time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And it's kind of interesting because he's also an eyewitness to certain things that are happening. He's, He's living within it. And that makes, I think that makes him look a little bit more like uh, Eusebius, mm-hmm. Caesarea, yeah. in his ecclesial, ecclesial history. Or Bonaventure in the West, we were talking oh, yeah, about totally. earlier. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, I think that's really interesting. Um, and I remember you telling me about a story of a saint much later um, coming to Canada. Ah, Mother Doherty. Catherine Doherty. Catherine Doherty? Yeah. I think okay. so. Okay. The story about St. Joseph on a hill. Oh, no. Whoa, wait. <laughs> yeah, wait, no. Wait, wait, yeah, wait, okay. Wait, We're thinking yeah. of different people. I was like, I don't think she's technically a saint yet. Um, but the, uh, yeah, so I think it was uh, Mary Catherine of St. Augustine. No, it was uh, Mary of the Incarnation, who was one of the foundresses of Canada. And she was mm-hmm. one of the first nuns to come to Quebec in, oh, its earliest days, I want to say 1620s, 1630s. Okay. I may be way off. People don't fact check that. Um and, uh, and, um, she was sailing down the St. Lawrence river and she saw an image or she saw a man standing on a mountain, um, 
This was presumably in a vision because I don't think she made it as far as Montreal. But, uh, but she saw a man standing on a mountain and she went up to see this man. Um, and it was St. Joseph. And he, she was like, oh, what are you doing here? And he was like, oh, this land is mine. This has been consecrated to me. God had, had set me out or had, had set this land out for me. Um, and, uh, and I think the story goes on that that mountain in that vision was Mount Royal, mm. where 300 years later, St. André Bassett had, uh, the oratory of St. Joseph built, right. which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and it shows that even our nation has that from its very origins, even in the mind of God has mm. a divine plan. Yeah. You know, I think, so I think what we're saying is to sum it all up that what St. Nestor is doing is something that is, is a hallowed tradition mm-hmm. of historiography almost. It's like a theological history yeah, that has always existed in the church. It's like a, it's, it's hagiography yeah. on a broad level, like yeah, on a yeah, national like or, 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 or a, um, the level of peoples. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, very good. Is there anything else that you noticed about St. Nestor in perhaps in the, in the introduction that we've just read. Yeah. So we just read through it. Um, and, uh, there was a number of things that jumped out at me, particularly because with Nestor, I feel like one of the things that we need to do when we read Nestor, when we read Bede, when we read Augustine and, and even our own saints like Mary of the Incarnation, um, is we need to understand our own history as being rooted in providence. Mm, yeah. Um, that God has a specific plan for each people. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, and he has designs for people, not just as individuals, but as, as members of a, of a particular church in our case, the Ukrainian Catholic, the Kievan church, um, and for particular nations. So like we used to hear a lot about like Poland's plan, in the 20th century with men like Maximilian Kolbe and mm. Faustina yeah. um, and John Paul II. Um, so I think part of that, and I mean, we can, we can talk about that more later. Part of that would be that as we do this, as we go through this sort of looking back and, and mm. seeing God's work in our own heritage, mm. Nestor provides a good way to do that. Mm-hmm. The, the, the thing that immediately jumps out from Nestor is, is, a is a, a humility that might seem a little over the top to modern ears, but, but there's not, there's, there's no guile in it. There's nothing. It's, it's honest. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Nestor genuinely believed himself to be that dumb and that crude. (laughs) Um, and so we need to be able to do these things and, and really appropriate this, this type of history with humility, mm. um, and with prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I, that I find interesting, well, I guess humility and prayer will, will ensure that we are honest about how we look at our own history. Yes. Um, but the, uh, one of the things that is, is really obvious from reading the, the intro to the primary chronicle, which, or Life of Theodosius, which is what we just read, yeah. is that he was strengthened and inspired by the word of God. Mm-hmm. 
and it's just dripping from every line. Mm-hmm. There are there are direct references and allusions all over the place, mm-hmm. which I think is really cool. Um, and in the end, too, as we go about doing this sort of thing as Canadians or as Americans or Brits or whoever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we need to do this with the glory of God in mind, mm-hmm. and and for no other end. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even though it's helpful in building up culture, it's helpful in all these other things. Mm-hmm. The the primary purpose of such uh, such a view of history is that God be glorified in what in what we say and do, and that He be glorified in our history. So mm-hmm. very good. I also I think that therefore it's important that I think I'm just reiterating what you just said that it's really the job of a saint to do this, of a particular saint to do this, of a holy person to go back and to look at our history and to tell it to us again as being people who are adjacent to the gospel. Yes, but I think Nestor would not have viewed himself as a saint. No, but we would. And so, but we would. (laughs) Yeah. Nestor was a saint in reality, Um, but I think one of the things that, that can we can use in the modern world to keep us from doing great things is by thinking that we are not a saint. Oh, yes. And so we need to be, first of all, working toward virtue and developing prayer life and growing in holiness mm-hmm. um, and and really loving God properly um, and, and participating in worship properly and giving him his due. Um, but we can't let that humility that he has obfuscate our own responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. so we have to, we have to acknowledge, yeah, this is for saints, but we need to, and we have all the tools mm. through the, through the Holy sacraments, through divine mm. liturgy, through the fathers and the mm. scriptures to become saints. So, um, so, but this is the job I think of, of every Christian, because as we're all called to yes. be saints, we're all called to understand the providence of God mm-hmm. in, in particular ways in our lives. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well said. Is there anything else that you'd like to add about our Saint Nestor? Hmm. Um, I think as a Ukrainian Catholic, um, both Bill and I have come into the Ukrainian Catholic Church. So, mm-hmm. uh, for those listening. Um, and so, we're learning a lot of our own patrimony as well. Yeah. Um, as, oh, we, as we go along. And actually, this whole podcast is kind of a project in that, trying mm-hmm. to learn about these people and to promote what we've learned. Um, oh, sorry, my brain just stopped. That's okay. Have a sip of uh, have a sip of sherry. Oh, hey, sherry. Yeah. Um, I think it's really easy for us Ukrainian Catholics to forget, or rather, to think that. Holy Saint Josephat is our first saint. Oh yeah, we were talking about yeah. that the other. I totally forgot about that. Um, and that is dumb. Yeah, you know what? I think it <laughs> might be because we don't have the caves. We lost the caves. Yeah. yeah. So for those of you who don't know, the Kievian caves are currently occupied by the U- Ukrainian Orthodox Church, not the Ukrainian Catholic Church, and so therefore we can think that we somehow have a different culture or patrimony from them. Yeah. And even though uh, this is controversial, 
Yeah, we're, we're uh, getting into some weird places. Even though we are not Ukrainian Orthodox, and our patrimony is firmly rooted in the Greek Orthodox Church, and the and we we also share we share something of Latin patrimony. Yep. We are Catholic. Yep. Um, and so we have everything. It's easy for us to ignore the fact that we we come from the Orthodox. Yeah, absolutely. And their saints are our saints. And we have to be tremendously grateful mm-hmm. as Ukrainian Catholics to the the vitality and the beauty of Ukrainian Orthodoxy mm-hmm. as it existed when the Union of Brest happened. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and so it's easy to forget yeah. that the Kievan caves are our saints. Yeah, the saints absolutely. of the Kievan caves are ours. Yeah. The, the traditions of the Ukrainian church is a shared patrimony mm. between us and the Orthodox. I don't know. What do you think? Am I right? I think so. I think you're right. I think that if I were to, if I'm just taking, we're just taking a guess at this right now. And I would say that that's probably the reason why we forget about people like, you know, St. Theodosia and St. Anthony. Yeah. Um, but really what they did was they were like our Benedict. Yeah. Um, it was like the caves are our Monte Cassino. Yeah. And it really, from there, um, sprang Christianity amongst the Rusin people. But if we think of ourselves as products solely of the Union of Brest, then we, yeah. we become foreigners in our own land. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a huge problem with that. Yeah. Um, our... Our history as Ukrainian Catholics stretches beyond Brest. It stretches beyond Josephat. Mm-hmm. Um, it stretches all the way back to Vladimir and before that, um, mm-hmm. to the first to Saint Clement of Rome, who was in Ode- or who was in Crimea. And if we're to believe Saint Nestor, yeah, to Saint Andrew, to Saint Andrew, and to yeah. the son, the sons of Noah. I forget which son of Noah it was. Well, and this is a, this is the thing, like our. If we if we separate ourselves from the the first half of the patrimony of our religion, we separate ourselves too to a degree from everything that comes before it. Mm-hmm. And it is through Vladimir that we are connected to Christ Himself. Mm-hmm. It was Vladimir who baptized us, um, and it is through uh, it is through Christ. It is in Christ that we are grafted into Abraham, mm-hmm. and so. We, we have to have this understanding of our history as a, as a whole mm-hmm. rather than a, a sectarian yeah. small thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a much grander patrimony. You can pick and choose yeah. and, and, you know, artificially make uh, an identity for ourselves that don't really, it doesn't really have the economy yeah. of our history. Well, and that's the difficulty with a lot of things. Like, yeah. again, getting into controversial ground. <laughs> that's the difficulty with the elimination of, of particular Western traditions that have come into the Ukrainian church as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, like, I'm all for the restoration of our traditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to get back things like the pre-sanctified and the iconostas, etc. But we also can't forget that our church has gone through numerous phases. Mm-hmm. It has been evangelized in numerous ways by many saints and... And, and providence has led it down many paths. Some mm-hmm. of those paths have been very unpleasant. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. But we've we've come out we've come out from them stronger and 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 blessed for many things that we've learned. I like to think that our church its expression runs on a spectrum. 
Mm-hmm. Like the genuine expression of it runs on a spectrum between Eastern and Western influences. Mm-hmm. And really, I think that's maybe the trouble with labeling our church Eastern Catholic as a catch-all phrase yeah. for all Eastern Catholic churches. Yeah. Because the Cyril Malabar, Eastern Catholic, but we probably don't have as much in common with them as we do with Latins. Well, and it's also the difficulty of saying that we're Orthodox in union with Rome. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. we aren't. We, we hold the Orthodox faith, yeah. absolutely. Our traditions are in the patrimony of the, of the East yeah. as it comes through Constantinople. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, but, but to hold solely to that mm. is to ignore the last 500 years. Yeah, Absolutely. And there's a problem with that. Yeah. All right. I think that's pretty good. Okay. For our first sit-down talk. Would you like some more sherry after this? After this, maybe. After this, yeah. maybe. Okay. Hold on. Don't go. Don't go. I forgot, to, I got, forgot to say one thing. Or I forgot to invite Sean to say one thing about something that, uh, something that he does in order to promote our traditions. What is that, Sean? Um, that's the restoration of, um, of prayer corners and icon houses. Um, I remember as a kid growing up in an in a area that was predominantly, well, Scottish first, but then we moved to an area that was predominantly Icelandic and Ukrainian. Um, and getting this book about the history of Canadian folk furniture, and in it, there was this strange chapter about these shrines that Ukrainians would have in their houses, and they were peculiar to Ukrainians, um, although the French had something similar to it. And I've since learned almost every Catholic culture has a version of this. But they're essentially little houses or shelves that go on the wall or a shelf that hold uh, a sacred image. Yeah. And and so I... uh, as I, as I got older and started working in woodworking and carving and stuff like that, I ended up starting to make them. And so I make them and I sell them. Um, and uh, they're not exactly what they would have had 100 years ago, but they're a development. Um, and uh, the goal of them is to, as Bill is restoring an understanding of kind of a, the lives of the saints and who we are in our, in our patrimony of hagiography, this is an attempt to kind of work with our our artistic patrimony, but also our, our spiritual patrimony, who we are as Ukrainian Catholics. You know, there's, there's stories, I mean, this is from Russia, but even in Dostoevsky's Brother Kramatsov, um, there's a point where, is it Grishanka? Comes into the room. I think it's Grishanka. And, and she's like in a frantic it's state. Yeah. yeah. And she comes into the room in a frantic state, but then she turns toward the icons on the Eastern wall and she crosses herself and then continues to be in a frantic state. Um, it used to be that these icons were enthroned in the home, much like the West will enthrone the sacred heart. Um, and that they, they made members of the family. They were mm-hmm. greeted, they were loved, they were taken care of. Um, and a few generations ago that fell by the wayside and a lot of those images were destroyed. Um, or boxed up. And so the goal of this is just kind of to bring them back. So if anybody wants to take a look, uh, there is an Etsy page uh, called Prairie Icon Houses. Prairie Icon Houses. Yeah. And, and I believe you're on Instagram as well. And I'm on Instagram too. So right. yeah, feel free to look me up. Cool. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Sean. No problem. <laughs>